0: Well, I don't know how many of you have heard my testimony since I've been at the church, but there was a series of circumstances that occurred to me uh, when I was in junior college. So what was that five years ago? And uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it was uh, more like 30 years ago. But uh, one day I was heading home from junior college and I decided to take a different route than I normally take. I, I decided to Turn into a left turn pocket and and wait for the light rather than go straight. And uh, it was one of those decisions in life that I came to regret instantly because as I was waiting at this red stoplight, there was a a truck coming towards me, a little mini truck, and uh, the car to the left of me jumped the light and the truck ran the light and the truck collided with the car flipped into the air, rolled three times, and landed wheels down on the hood of my car. Uh, and I literally could not go anywhere. I was sitting right there at the light, uh, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, and I thought, this is it. And, uh, and it landed about, I don't know, about that far away from my front windshield, and uh, it caught my attention, to say the least. Uh, I got the car repaired, and A few months later, I was heading uh, home from school again in the evening, and and as I was exiting the school, the street where you come out to school, uh, I didn't realize it, but I had the car fixed externally, but I didn't realize the kingpin had been broken. Uh, Nobody told me. Nobody had noticed it, and so as I was driving... The car collapsed to the ground and went into oncoming traffic, and I almost died a second time. And I thought, well, isn't this interesting? The Lord is trying to get my attention, I guess. Uh, I was not a believer at the time, and and uh, it was those two uh, providential incidents, if you will, that that caused me to start thinking about eternal things. Uh, my eternal destiny, where was I going? And And that primed the pump for me coming to faith. About a year later, I tell you that because sometimes uh, God can use painful situations, as we talked about last week, to to guide us, to direct us in His will for our lives. Right? Uh, we saw those those three events last week that were they were painful, but God certainly used them in the lives of His people to to move them in the direction of His will. Uh, this week we're going to talk about a similar thing, only uh, we're going to talk about how um, God's providence interacts with our human plans. And it's it's one of those things that the book of Ruth provides for us, uh, a picture of God's providential dealing with his people in a way that you normally don't see. It it sort of pulls back the veil and allows us to see God's invisible hand at work. And so... uh, As we said last week, uh, the book of Ruth is really about Naomi. If you read in chapters 1 and 4, you find that out, that uh, Ruth is Naomi's daughter-in-law, and through Ruth, God is going to bless Naomi and the people of Israel. Uh, The second theme of the book is really redemption by what we call a Goel, uh, a, a kinsman redeemer, a close relative, uh, who in Jewish law, according to a, a, a Leverite marriage, was allowed to um, marry a close relative if her husband had passed away in order to redeem her and provide for her. He could uh, raise up children for her. He could provide food. Uh, it was, in a sense, God's protection of widows. But the third and biggest theme that I really wanted to focus on here is the providential dealing of God bringing out the birth of King David. Uh, if you look at chapter 4, you see the genealogy. The reality is all of this is taking place, but it's going somewhere, and that is to the birth of King David, through whom uh, God would bless the nation of Israel. So it's human life intersecting, if you will, with God's... Um, Plans, God's providence. And how do those two things work together? I know we all sort of have questions about that. You know, what effect does prayer have? We'll talk about that next week. But, you know, the scriptures tell us man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps, right? Well, how does that all work out? Well, I hope as we look at this today, we'll be able to see some of that. The only way to do this was to have chapter 2 read during the scripture reading. I'd like to take a crack at reading chapter 3, and then we'll talk about that this morning. So if you have your word of God there, we will uh, go ahead and start chapter 3, verse 1. Then then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, literally rest, that it may be well with you? Now, is not Boaz our kinsman? These glasses, I'm sorry, are just the wrong distance. Uh, now, is not our Boaz our kinsman with whose maids? No, that's not going to work either. <laughs> sorry, it's really not the right distance. Anyway, uh, behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what to do. And she said to her, all that you say I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of a heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, "'Who are you?' And she answered, "'I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative.'" Or a goel. Then he said, "'May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask.'" For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Now it is true, I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And again, he said, give me the cloak that is on you and behold. I'm sorry, and hold it. So she held it and he measured six measures of barley and laid it on her. And she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said these 6 measures of barley he gave to me for he said do not go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then she said wait. Then she said wait my daughter until you know how the matter turns out for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. So uh we are continuing in the theme of providence, and, and this week we're going to see, as I said, three human decisions that interplay uh, with God's providence in the book of Ruth. Uh, and we're just going to see how God governs these human decisions so that we will learn ourselves to rest in His providence. Okay, that's the goal. There are many decisions in this book that I could, I could hit on. Many human decisions, but I have to limit it to three, otherwise we'll be here all afternoon. So, the first decision that we're going to look at that was governed by God is Ruth's selection. And you'll need to look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 here. And it says, uh, Now Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And here's the significant part of the text. She happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Random chance, right? (laughs) Random chance. The text literally says uh, she, I mean, it's translated, she happened to come, but it literally reads, and it chanced the chance of her. Um, Her her chance happened upon the portion of the field belonging to Boaz of the family of Elimelech. Who would have guessed, right? Uh, A goel right here in this town, in this place, at this moment, uh, she decides to go out and glean in the fields, and boom, she, she happens to land in the right field. Uh, we might say today, she, she happened upon the field, or as, or as pagans would say, don't take this personally, but as luck would have it. How many times do we say that? As luck would have it. But the verb here is masculine, which means it cannot be describing Ruth's action. What it means is Ruth did not chance. It's describing the action of her chance. It's really interesting. Her chance chanced. In other words, who would have thought? But God is behind this. We see God in chapter one where he's visiting his people and bringing them food, Right. They give you a little hint that it's the barley harvest at the end of chapter one. And at the end of the book, they tell you that God opens Ruth's womb so she can conceive a child. So at the beginning of the book and at the end of the book, God is involved. And here in the middle, chance? I don't think so. It's providence. This is the hand of providence at work. So Ruth and Naomi have returned to the land of Bethlehem. This is her husband's ancient ancestral land, uh, and Ruth does not know anyone. She's a stranger. She's from Moab. She's a Moabitess. Uh, But she's about to go out in the fields all by herself and try to scrape together some food from the scraps in the corners of the field. This is what God provided for poor people among the nation of Israel. This was their social security system, if you will. She was going to go out there. The Levitical cool Law in, in uh, chapter 19, verses 9 to 10, instructed God's people to not do such a great job cleaning up the corners of the field, to leave stuff there for the poor people so that they have something to glean and, and pull together some scraps. So, grain stocks were to be left behind for the poor, the needy, the widows, and the orphans. This was God's provision for them. Ruth and Naomi know this, and so they're going to hit the fields and they're going to try to scrape together enough grain to exist. Remember I told you in chapter 1, they're destitute. They have nothing. They're poor. They're widows. They have nothing. But Ruth makes this decision not only to go into the fields and glean, but she also decided which field to go into. Right? And so you would think to yourself, What are the odds in this whole territory that she would hit a field of a close relative of Elimelech? What are the odds? She had no idea where she was, where she was going. She was just looking for food, scrapping around, and she happened upon the field. Her chance chanced, uh, as it were, upon the field of Boaz. Yet, we know behind the scenes, looking back, that God was behind her every decision, right? Because he had constructed a divine appointment for her with her kinsman, redeemer Boaz. Uh, In the providence of God, the field which Ruth selected to glean belonged to, if you look at the text, it says a man of valor, a man of great wealth, it might say. It's the Hebrew word gebor. And what that means is he's a a strong man, he's a wealthy man, he's a a prominent man, is the idea. And he happens to be, as I said, a close relative of Naomi's dead husband, her father-in-law, Elimelech. He's a close relative, he's a goel. And it's, it's possible that Boaz could have been as close a relative as a brother of Elimelech. Look over at chapter 4, verse 3. He said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother, Elimelech. So it could be in the order of brothers that Elimelech was a brother, but there was a brother who was closer uh, in age. Maybe, you know, firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn kind of a thing. So we don't really know what the relationship was, but there's, there's not only a Limelech, I'm sorry. There's not only Boaz, but there's an even closer Goel in the background that we haven't learned about yet. So of all the places to decide to glean, Ruth picked this field. Now I know there's a place uh, down in—is it Nevada? It's called Jackpot, right? Jackpot, right? Jackpot. Now, is, is this a coincidence? We like that word coincidence, right? Is this a coincidence? Is it good luck? Is it uh, fortune smiling down upon her? Is it karma? No, none of those things are real. This is, this is the invisible hand of providence. This is God at work um, among His people. Isaiah 46, 8 through 10. Just listen. You can turn there if you like. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now, who could say something like that? Right? Only the God who is capable of doing what He says. When you think about it, we'll talk about this next week, but the only reason prayer actually works is, is because we're praying to somebody who has the ability to do something about what we're praying for, right? What about prophecy? The only way a prophet could reasonably predict anything is what? If God brings everything about down to the T so that that prophecy takes place. See, God is... He not only knows the future... He brings it to pass according to His perfect will, and that's where providence comes in. God uses all means at His disposal to bring about His perfect plan. So let's talk about luck. The chance happening of fortunate or adverse events is how the dictionary describes it. As believers, you know, I I think, I I gave a lot of thought to this, I think we need to change our vocabulary. And and that's okay to say, right? If If we're saying something that's unbiblical and ungodly, we should change. We shouldn't say good luck to people. Luck has no ability in itself to accomplish anything. We shouldn't use the word fortunate. These terms leave out the sovereign will of God and His providence. You know, from a human perspective, it looks like coincidence. It looks like random selection. Uh, but from God's perspective, it's all according to plan. You probably don't even realize how much you attribute things to luck. But it is unbiblical, and it should be dropped from our vocabulary as believers. Believers. J.C. Ryle, uh, a famous writer uh, during the Puritan era, he said, "...nothing, whatever, whether great or small, can happen to a believer without God's ordering and permission. There is no such thing as chance, luck, or accident in the Christian's journey through this world. All is arranged and appointed by God, and all things are working together for the believer's good." Proverbs 16.9, the, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we, we make plans, we, we think we're doing something, and we are, but somehow in the sovereignty of God, God is directing each step on the path. So Ruth's selection on a human level was hers, but it was governed by the Almighty. Second, we want to see the human decision of Boaz here. And it was mentioned earlier in the prayer, but Boaz's service. So Ruth's selection and Boaz's service. Look at verses, chapter 2, verses 8 to 16, if you will. Uh, verse 8 uh, Ruth is told by Boaz. See, the thing here is I have to trim the, I have to skim the treetops here if I'm going to get through this. So I can't do my normal exposition of the text. We're just kind of, we're, we're, this is more of a topical message using the text, if you will. So I apologize. I'd love to be able to spend more time, but I just can't. Uh, verse 8, uh, Ruth is told by Boaz to stay with his maids in his field so that she would be safe. Right? So his service to her is that he's protective of her. Uh, verse 9, Ruth is given permission to drink from Boaz's well. His servants will even draw the water out for her. Verse 11, Boaz is motivated because of Ruth's reputation as a God-fearing woman. So he, he shows her extra kindness because he knows that she fears God and wants to serve Him. Verse 14, Boaz serves her roasted grain and allows her to dip her bread in the vinegar and she sits with the reapers. Notice the reapers, not the gleaners. So the people that work for Boaz, she gets to sit with them, not the poor, destitute people out in the field. Verse 15 Rather than have her glean from the corners of the field from the scraps, what's he do? He asks his servants to pull out some of the grain from the bundles and to leave it there for her. Full stocks of grain. They beat out an ephah of barley, probably three fifths of a bushel, aka about 22 liters. 22 liters of grain. So, Boaz is showing deliberate kindness to Ruth. He is going way beyond what the law requires. Right? The law required just a few scraps in the corners of the fields. He is blessing her socks off. It's because of this, we'll see in chapter three, that she is going to entrust herself to his care. She knows that this man is a godly man and that he's caring for her and protecting her. And so what does she do later? She goes and she puts herself under his protection and asks him to care for her. So, God is blessing Ruth through this man Boaz, and later he is going to bless Boaz through Ruth. So, on a human level, uh, Boaz made the decision to be kind and excessive in his obedience to the law. Right? That was a human decision, which in turn caused Naomi to take notice of who he was. Look at verse 19. Where in the world did you go and glean today? May he who took notice of you be blessed. And then she told her mother in law who it was. This all led to her strategy for redemption, which we're going to talk about today. Which led to Ruth's redemption, which led to their marriage, which led to the birth of their child, who was the ancestor of King David, the one whom God would bless Israel through, and ultimately the world through, the Messiah. You know, it reminds me, have you, how many of you have ever taken dominoes and tried to... Have you seen those people that fill a whole room with dominoes and they like go upstairs and they like drop off and... Um, one domino out of place throws the whole thing off, right? And here we are. We're looking at dominoes falling. I mean, we're, we're literally seeing God setting up dominoes in place and, and just tick, 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 tick. These dominoes just are falling over one after another. Now, these people are obedient to the law, and so God is clearly blessing them. But what happens when somebody disobeys? Are they still in the will of God? Well, yeah. (laughs) Believe it or not, yeah. God can even use evil or destructive purposes of humans, uh, bad decisions, if you will, to bring about His perfect will. And I don't know how that all that works out, but that's the providence of God at work. 1 Kings 12:15, you can turn there if you like. 1 Kings chapter 12 verse 15. This is uh, one of the pivotal moments in Israel's history where King Solomon has died. The year is probably somewhere around 931 uh, B.C. And Rehoboam and Jeroboam are fighting over who's going to be king, right? And so you have here in verse 15, so the king did not listen to the people. This is Rehoboam. For it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through Ahiyah, the Shilonite, uh, to Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. All you have to do is go back uh, a few chapters here to chapter 11. Uh, just back one chapter. And essentially, Rehoboam took bad advice from the younger men. But God had predicted that the kingdom was going to split north and south. God had told the king that because of his faithlessness, the king was going to be ripped from his hands and split in two. And sure enough, what happens? When Solomon dies, 931, his son takes bad advice from the younger men. Did he make a bad decision? Yes. But he played into God's eternal plan to divide the nation in half. The kingdom, from this point on, would be split north and south. Ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south. It was, uh, they would set up the high places, uh, the sin of Jeroboam. They would set up calf worship in the north, in Samaria, right? And all of this is part of God's plan, this one bad decision. He took the advice of the younger men instead of the older men. But it says it was a turn of events from the Lord to establish His Word that had been spoken through His prophet. Interesting, huh? Judges 14.4, you could look at that. Go back to the left. Judges 14.4. We all know Samson and we love Samson. He's a great figure in history, right? But we know Samson was messing around with the Philistines and he had his eyes fixed on a Philistine woman who was outside the nation of Israel. He should not have been interested in a Philistine woman. He was one of the judges of Israel, for crying out loud. But he pursues this Philistine woman and it says in 14.4, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he, that is the Lord, was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. God, did Samson make a bad choice in dating a Philistine woman? Yeah. But it was all in the plan and purpose of God. Why? Because God wanted to bring down the Philistines. And you read over in chapter 16, verse 28, that the, the Philistine uh, generals, if you will, chapter 16:28. No, that's not right. Well, that's where they all got killed. But anyway, everybody died. It was all good. Um, They put him between the two pillars and he pushed the pillars over and the whole thing crashed down and all the generals and all the leaders of the Philistine armies were destroyed. It was all the providence of God at work. He wanted Samson between those two pillars. And in order to do that, he had him date a Philistine woman way back when. And you think, well, these are bad decisions. Well, yes, but that's providence, right? God causes all things all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, right? Do we believe that? So serve self or serve God, it, it really doesn't matter. It, it may determine how pleasant things are for you along the way. Somebody described providence to me like this. How many of you have ever been on a cruise? Okay, we know who the sinners are. Just kidding. (laughs) But But the ship leaves the harbor, right? And it goes to its ultimate destination, the other harbor. But along the way, people are moving around the deck chairs and everything, right? So that's how providence is, kind of. Our decisions are sort of contained within an environment. They are sort of how do I don't want to say it they are sort of guided and directed by the lord but along the way the lord is still getting the ship from a to b and i don't know how it all works together but that's that seems to be what the scriptures would indicate we think we're making decisions but along the way god is directing his purposes he's governing he's ruling nothing escapes his grasp now you may make a bad decision But somehow or another, it's foreordained in the purpose and plan of God to to bring about things in your life to sanctify you, to make you more Christ-like. And in that case, we can say you can learn from your bad mistakes, right? Now, if you keep banging your head against a wall and making the same bad decisions over and over again, then, then talk to Bruce. I mean, perhaps you've made some bad financial decisions, right? Perhaps you've married someone for the wrong, wrong reasons. Maybe you took a job for money and now you feel stuck. Maybe you made some mistakes in your parenting along the way and they're coming back to, to haunt you. And what I'm saying is that if, if God is truly in control of all things, then, then even your bad decisions were designed by Him to have a purpose in your life, Right? and to fulfill His eternal plan. So don't stay there. Move on. Learn from it. Grow from it. Understand what God was doing in your life. See, it's easy for us to look backward and see what God's been doing, right? The hard part is looking forward and knowing what to do. That's the hard part. Decision-making in the will of God is difficult. But there are some principles, and there are some actually good resources out there. Again, talk to Bruce. (laughs) There are some good books out there on decision-making and the will of God. I don't have time to go into all that, but but maybe the consequences of that bad decision are exactly what you need to learn uh, so that you will grow out of where you are now. I mean just just understand that your, your human decisions are governed by God. And He's an all good, all powerful, all loving God who knows everything, and He does have an eternal plan. And a plan for your life. I know it's kind of cliche. We say God has a marvelous plan for your life. Well, he does, actually. He does. If we could have seen the whole plan on the front side, you know, we might not have made the decisions we've made. We we might have made a different decision. We might have been paralyzed in fear. I mean, if I know too much ahead of time, it's not good. I get paralyzed. We get analysis paralysis, right? Either way, it's God's plan. There's a, a really good Old Testament writer. He writes Old Testament commentaries. His name is Dale Ralph Davis. If, if you ever get the chance to buy one of his books, a commentaries in the Focus series, sell your shirt and buy it. It's, it's worth it. Um, but he says this, When I use the word providence, I mean that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling His world and sustaining His people. And His doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives, or even the bias of our wills. You get that? I mean, we, we're a stubborn people. We make mistakes. We do things all wrong. We think we're doing it right, but somehow in the providence of God, it doesn't matter He still works it all out to his end. And that beloved is where we can find rest. I don't know how many of you struggle with regret. How many of you struggle with anxiety or depression about what's happened in your life? But the reality is uh, one writer said providence is the pillow that we rest our head on at night. I mean if God is sovereign, if he holds all things in his hands, then that is where you're going to find rest. Not in your decision making. Because you're going to blow it. Because I blow it. We all blow it. But providence is where we find rest. So Ruth's selection of the field, Boaz's service to Ruth, they're all part of God's eternal plan. And third human decision that was governed by God was Naomi's strategy. Look at the book of Ruth again, chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. How many of you ever seen Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah, it's a great movie, isn't it? So Naomi reminds me of that little matchmaker. What's her name? Yenta? Is it Yenta? Yeah. Matchmaker, matchmaker? No, I won't sing. Um then Naomi her mother-in-law said to her my daughter my daughter <laughs> shall i not seek security for you that it may be well with you now is not boaz our kinsman with whose maids you were uh, behold he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight wash yourself clean yourself up anoint yourself put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, then he will tell you what you shall do. And she said to her, All that you say, I will do. So, Naomi puts two and two together. She sees how this man Boaz is caring for Ruth. She sees how he is blessing her in excess of the Levitical law. She knows that he's a goale. And so she puts two and two together, and she knows that Ruth cleans up nice, and she says, go down to the threshing floor and let him... Put yourself under his protection, essentially. Now, a lot of people have looked at this text and they, they try to see something immoral going on here. There's nothing immoral going on. This is an old custom where the woman would place herself at the foot of the man requesting his covering. Is, is there some intimation that he got drunk? No. Uh, Ruth is a godly ma- or, uh, Boaz is a godly man. After a long day's work, working in the field, he's tired. So, like me, he, he eats, he has some stuff to drink, and he falls asleep, right? He's content, is the idea. His heart is merry. It doesn't mean he's drunk. There's nothing immoral going on here. And it, you'll notice even, too, it says that in the morning when she got up and left, he let everybody know that she had come to the threshing floor. It's all above board, Right? There's nothing, nothing wrong going on here. So Naomi says, clean yourself up. Go down to the threshing floor. Who knows what could happen? So she suggests this plan, this strategy, right? Shall I not seek security for you? Chapter 3, verse 1. Step 1, clean yourself up. Step 2, spy on him. Wait until he finishes eating and he's asleep. Right. Step three: Lie down at his feet after he falls asleep, and and wait for him to tell you what to do next. Step four. So here it is: the middle of the night, and Shazam! Right? You've all seen the movie Shazam, right? Shazam! He wakes up. The text says, "Behold, there's a woman lying at his feet." And it it's so dark, he doesn't know who it is. He doesn't recognize her. So she identifies herself and asks Boaz to cover her because he is a goel, a close relative. And lo and behold, it's Ruth. Now, I got in trouble last time I was preaching through this because I said there was this young, exotic, foreign woman at his feet. Well, it's true. It's <laughs> true. So he says uh, what any red blooded man would say, Bruce, look at the text. He says exactly what any red blooded man would say, right? <laughs> he says, I'll do whatever you want, <laughs> right? I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So we were talking about this morning. And of course he accepts. I mean, what would he do? He'd be stupid not to, right? But the text says, wait, suspense, right? This is like a suspense novel. There's a closer goale. <laughs> he, he, there's a hinky on the plans here. There's, a, there's another guy who's closer. He's a closer relative than Boaz. What's going to happen? We don't know. We're biting our nails, right? But the plans are on hold until morning. We know how the story ends. Like I said, we're looking back. But the other guy passes on the opportunity, which, decision-making in the will of God, right? He blew it. <laughs> in the providence of God, he blew it big time. Um, he, he passes on the opportunity, which also is ordained by God, that he should be an idiot. But Proverbs 16, one, right? The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. He answered exactly how the Lord wanted him to answer. Proverbs 19:21. "Many are the plans in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand." Yes, God is providentially in control of all things, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't make plans, we shouldn't strategize, we shouldn't have some idea of what we're doing, right? Have you ever, ever seen trapeze artists? Have you ever been to the circus? I guess they don't have circuses anymore, do they? Oh, you poor children, you missed out on so much. But the trapeze artists would swing, right? And, and they would have a net down at the bottom underneath them. And, and this is how Providence works. They're, they're up there doing their trapeze act and swinging back and forth and flipping through the air. And if they fall, the net will catch them, right? And that's kind of how Providence works. There's always God in the background. Even when we make a stupid decision, God is in the background redeeming the whole situation. Now, God would have us walk in obedience to His will for sure, but both in our obedience and even in our faithlessness, His providence orchestrates everything to its perfect end. And Jerry Bridges A popular Christian writer, he tapped in on this and he said, We may say that Providence is God's orchestrating all events and circumstances in the universe for his glory and the good of his people. Romans 8 28. Everything. All circumstances. Remember last week I last time I preached, I I said, God knows all contingencies but he makes no decision contingently. What does that mean? It means that he knows all the possible outcomes, but he doesn't make a single decision based on the outcomes. He makes them because he is God and he is sovereign. In other words, he doesn't have to wait for you to do something before he makes a decision on what to do next. And this is where I don't know if you've heard of open theism, but open theism kind of presents the idea that God works in harmony with us and that He doesn't know the future. He only knows the past and the present perfectly. And their supposition is that He doesn't know the future until it happens, and therefore He has to work together with humans, and He's kind of like a chess master who who kind of predicts their next move, and then He moves. He moves. Well, what, is, what kind of God is that? Right? That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. No, God knows the future because He's planned the future. And God knows the circumstances and the contingencies because He's put them in place. And He's moved His people where He wants them, At any given time, He raises up nations, He brings them down. He raises up leaders, He brings them down. He puts everything in place. He even put people in place to crucify the Messiah at the right time. It was all according to plan. So it's good to have a plan, but hold it loosely. (laughs) Hold it loosely. It could change. I would have never guessed in a million years that I would be in ministry. But the Lord orchestrated the events of my life in a way that was just undeniable that the Lord was leading me that direction. I would just say, be open to what God is doing in your life and, and what His will is for you. We don't read the tea leaves, though. You know, it's hard to discern. It's hard to discern what the will of God is. And so that's why I, I commend some resources to you just to to know what the rules are governing decision-making make plans but but don't arrogantly hang on to them as though you have any real control James says it this way in chapter 4 verses 13 to 15 you don't have to turn there but he says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Not luck. It's not our plans. Yeah, we have to have a plan and we have to go somewhere in life, but but if God wills, we'll do it or not. So we've seen Ruth's selection of the field. We've seen Boaz's service to Ruth. We've seen Naomi's strategy for redemption. Three human decisions all governed by God and it all goes back to the first decision that Ruth made to follow Naomi back to the land right to to be obedient to God to come under uh, Israel's faith and from that everything else fell in place you know believers we struggle with anger how many of you struggle with anger i don't never Anxiety, depression, right? Why is that? I know, I know we talk about the heart motives and stuff, but the reality is it's because we have what we call duds, deficient understanding of divine sovereignty. <laughs> um, we don't entrust ourselves to the sovereign plan and purposes of God. We want to control it. We think we deserve better than we're getting. Bruce talked about that this morning. And there's two questions you can ask yourself, by the way, to to sort of take a temperature on that. What am I, what am I not getting that I want? And what am I wanting that I'm not getting? Right? Two sides of the same coin, but the reality is it's discontentment. And... We think we deserve better than we're getting, so we, we try to take matters into our own hands. We try to control it ourselves. And since we can't control it, we stay up all night trying to think of how we can control it. <laughs> and that's what produces the anxiety. We know we can't, but we want to, and so we try, but we can't, and so we try, but we can't, and so we become what we call what? Control freaks, (laughs) right? We become control freaks. But if you step back from that for just a second, you realize, how much control do I really have? Answer? None. None. In fact, beyond your next breath, You don't really have any control of anything. It's ridiculous to think that we have any control. But we try, don't we? We try. And this is exactly why I believe so much of the society struggles with anxiety and and worry and social issues because we try to control our surroundings and we just can't. And the more people press in on us and the more crowded it becomes, the greater the social anxiety becomes. Because we want to control the circumstances and we can. So we go crazy crazy trying to control, nonetheless. So how about this? If you want to make plans, plan on not having any control. Plan on exercising faith instead. Right? It takes a lot to trust in God. And actually it takes very little. It's a lot harder to try to control things yourself than to trust in the Almighty who holds all things in His hands. That's not blind faith. That's faith in the One who holds the future in His hands. Right? How do you say it? Augustine or Augustine? I always say Augustine, but I guess it's Augustine. He said this, and I'll just close with this Trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. Wise words from a man of faith. Trust the past to God's mercy the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence.